Hey everybody, it's the Menchwarmers, your bi-weekly look at the world of Jews and sports. I am uh, joined today by a special guest, Alex Rose. How are you doing, Alex? I'm good, thanks. It's good to be back. Very good to be back. Yeah, for uh, some of our newer listeners or uh, other people who, who aren't as familiar with the, the wide range of CJN podcasts, Alex was formerly our producer and was also the host of the Canadian Jewish Schmooze, uh, the CJN's former flagship podcast, uh, which has now been dethroned by bon- Bonjour Chai. Uh, but Alex, no longer with the CJN, but but still but uh, happy to guest with us today. Gabe's away. Um, Alex, what's been going on with you uh, in the last year or so since the CJN since the CJN folded? Yeah, since it folded for what maybe the third time in its history, I don't know, but certainly the second time in, in six years or whatever. I was lucky; I had something lined up. I had been about to leave anyways um, to go back to school, actually, to study cognitive science and psychology at the University of Toronto. And oh, very cool! I actually ended up. Yeah, um, I don't know if, if this is like bad form to say, but. I made more money from severance pay than I would have working out the last month there. So, I mean, I'm, right. I love the CJN. I'm very sad that uh, about what happened and everyone I worked with because it was an amazing work environment for me. But from a purely like selfish perspective, it, it wasn't the worst thing in the world. <laughs> well, we're, 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 we're obviously glad that it's back in its new form. Absolutely. Um, has, has school been good? Has it been weird doing school during COVID times? I take it it's been all, all online. For yeah, you. yeah. It's, it's rough. Some things, um, like the flexibility of the schedule with all the recorded lectures and stuff is a big positive. But then recorded lectures are awful. Right. Um, but I'm, I'm very happy. I feel like, you know, it was the right choice for me this program and i'm really interested in what i'm doing That's so great. overall it's been it's been good yeah and if the cjn had gone under and i hadn't been going back to school who knows what i would have spent the last year doing so because it's always good to have a uh, a grad school acceptance in in one's back pocket in case in case their job doesn't work out <laughs> yeah you could, you could say that <laughs> uh well there's some uh pressing news that we want to talk about uh julian edelman retired yesterday and we're gonna focus on that for most of the episode but uh, before we get to that, we just wanted to take a, a quick moment to check in on a few uh, a few stories from the world of basketball and hockey. Um, both are, you know, about halfway through their year, maybe a little bit closer towards the end. Um, Alex, you, you mentioned you wanted to talk about Zach Hyman, uh, Toronto Maple Leafs player, and who, who's going to be an upcoming free agent. So what's what's going on with Zach? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting time to kind of look at his role with the team and and the player he's grown into, especially because... For those of you who don't know, the NHL trade deadline just passed. And Hyman is known as like a gritty, hard-nosed player. He forechecks really well, but he's been putting up points and goals the last few years that people, I mean, even when they thought he had a place in the NHL, they didn't maybe think it was as a top six forward. And the Leafs traded for a few more defensive forwards over the last few days, which is kind of noteworthy to me because it means that they might trust Hyman to play up in the lineup with the Stars and not lower in the lineup as a defensive forward. He's been bouncing around throughout the season. And, I mean, this is a guy who who did four years at, at college, and, and people didn't even know he'd make the NHL. I remember when he went to Florida, it was a big deal. Like, I, I went to the same middle school and high school with him back in the day. I'm a few <laughs> right. years younger. I don't know him, but just, like, it's cool. I The guy I played ball hockey with in, in our little basement gym is now drafted in the NHL, and then he's traded to the Leafs, and then, you know, he's a star for the Leafs. He's averaging... 
if this was an 82 game season, he'd be on pace for 30 goals. Yeah. So he already has 31 points through 40 games. I mean, he's all, you know, he's going to surpass his career highs in goals and assists in all likelihood uh, in a, in a shortened season even. And, you know, he's getting up to almost 20 minutes a game of ice time. Uh, really, really blossoming. I think in a way that, that people were maybe a little surprised by, you know, he's 28 years old now. Um, hockey guy, ho- hockey players tend to peak around, you know, 28 to 30, but uh, still impressive to see, you know, how, how he's coming along for, 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 his, for his hometown team. Yeah, and I, I saw in the comments of some articles recently, people were talking about if he'd take a hometown discount or not, sorry, a hometown discount or not to stay with Toronto in the offseason. And I don't know, I thought it was interesting because, you know, he doesn't maybe have a background that other athletes always have. I'm trying to say that <laughs> delicately, but... You mean you know, he comes from a well-to-do Jewish family, I think is what you're trying to say. Yes. And, and maybe like if he can get a few million over the life of a contract somewhere else, it might not be life changing for him and his family because he's not supporting his extended family like some athletes are, or at least supporting their lifestyle. And I don't know, do you think that means he's more likely to take a hometown discount or should we not even speculate about that? I mean, you know, it's a, it's a very interesting question. I mean, I don't know what um, drives certain people to take a hometown discount or not. Um, certainly we've seen in basketball and, uh, and football, you know, even baseball and hockey, that there has been more of like a player empowerment era and like guys being able to write their own ticket and decide where they want to play, whether it's their hometown or just, you know, it's where they want to be because they have a, you know, secondary interest in uh, movies like LeBron James or, uh, or something else that, you know, they want to do. It's hard to say. I mean, like, you know, I can't speak from the position of a, a pro athlete, but like, if I had my druthers, like if I was a free agent, I would sign with the Toronto team regardless. I don't, I don't care. Like the amount of money you're talking about, you know, if you're talking about the difference between like, um, and, and I don't know exactly what Hyman would get because I'm not, I'm not uh, up enough on, on NHL free agency, but like if the difference is between like 30 million over four years and like 25 million over four years, like $5 million is, is an absurd amount of money. Like it's a lot of money, but the difference between 25 and 30 is much smaller than the difference between, you know, one and six, for example. And so the idea of like being able to play at home would be, would be very enticing to me. I mean, no matter who I was, but, but, you know, players are different. And, and, and part of it, I think for them is just judging uh, team culture, you know, the guys they're going to play with the, the opportunity to compete for a championship in whatever sport they're playing. And I, I, you know, I think all those things factor in and, and also, uh, you know, for a lot of athletes, they're, taking advice from their families and their, you know, wives and agents and things like that. And, you know, people are sort of not making the decision for them, but, but certainly in their ears about that sort of thing. So uh, I, you know, I can't, I, I, now in terms of like where he's coming from, does that make a difference? You know, I, I, I would say probably not. I mean, it's still a huge amount of money either way. And to be, you know, to do something for less than its uh, value on the free market, is never advisable unless there's some intrinsic benefit to, to, you know, to taking less money. So I, I, I guess we'll see. It's an interesting, it is an interesting story though. And I, I do think Hyman's also just such an interesting player. I mean, I don't know when you think of like a modern Jewish athlete, again, there, there are only so many of them, but many more than people are aware of is, which is the point of this podcast. I mean, I don't know if, if this makes sense, but he kind of like just his, his kind of style reminds me of like the more, like back in the day, like tenement era Jewish <laughs> athletes, just in terms of like what you think about when you think about it, it's not about the flash, but it's about like the the grinder, the the hard work, and the way he's able to like slowly elevate his game. But to be go from like a a bottom of the lineup forward who's just maybe killing penalties a bit or getting in the corners to now, I mean, doing the same stuff, but with the best players in the game and, and being able to put you know goals on the board and and 
he gets the puck to Austin Matthews or Mitch Marner or Tavares or Willie, whoever he's playing with, Willie Nylander. And he puts the puck in the back of the net too. And I don't know, there's just something about the way he's kind of worked his way up that it just reminds me of like the old kind of athletes we've talked about. I don't know if that's fair or not. No, I think I think that's fair. Although he is uh, deceptively tall. I thought he was a smaller guy, but he's listed at 6'1". And, you know, I think one of the ways that, that Jews um, might have an advantage in hockey as opposed to other sports is that height isn't as necessary. Like there's a lot of hockey players who are in the 5'8 to 6 feet range as opposed to, uh, you know, basketball. Obviously, there's there's been very few players altogether that are under 6 feet. Um, baseball, there's, you know, a few dozen in the in the league at any time. But hockey has a fair amount. And, you know, the, the Hughes brothers, for example, I think are both like 5'10", like, you know, not imposing guys. But but Hyman's actually six one, so I think you know he has. Uh, it's interesting to, to to make that connection, I guess, between the sort of uh, you know uh, tenement era. I guess it's like the, the blue call. You know, they talk about like lunch pail right. workers or blue collar like workers and sports teams or athletes, and then but he doesn't maybe come from a blue collar background, which is maybe like what the contrast feels like. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you know, I think a lot like we still Jews still pride ourselves on being right. hard workers, but but now it's like. You know, I'm a doctor, a lawyer, a banker, and not like uh, working in a in a factory for for twelve hours a day to feed my seven children on the upper lower east uh, side. I don't I don't remember which side is which in Manhattan. But yeah, there going, going to the other uh, the other end of the height spectrum. Uh, there's someone we want to talk about uh, halfway through the NBA season, or a little bit more than halfway. Um, we want to talk about NBA rookie Denny of Dia. Um, the first, you know, the, the highest pick from Israel, the ninth overall pick by the Washington Wizards. Um, he is, to be honest, struggling a little bit. Um, you know, he's putting together a lot of, a fair amount of playing time, 23 minutes a game, but only averaging about six points, uh, five rebounds a game. Not exactly where we'd want him to see, see him to be, but, uh, you know, he is getting praise from his coaches, uh, and there's an expectation that there's going to be a learning curve moving to the American game. He's someone who'd played professionally in Israel, but uh, obviously it's a different game in America, and he didn't grow up in the you know you um, the uh, AAU or or the American college system. So um, mm-hmm. you know he he's put some good games together. He had a 16 point game the other day. He had a 12 point game, 10 rebound game against the Raptors uh, two a uh, week and a half ago. Um, so you know we'll continue to monitor him and see where he's at. Uh, you know, it's always tricky with these guys because I feel like there's such a, um, there's such a expectation that people are going to succeed immediately that when someone doesn't, it's sort of like, well, what happened here? Why did we, you know, are you a bust? Like you get that, you get that title put on you very quickly. And I don't think there's anything to say that Denny is a, is a bust. You know, it's way too early to say, but it, it is tricky when it's like, you know, what if, what if there's an NBA player who needs four years of development in the NBA? What if, you know, you need five years in the NBA? guys aren't really getting that rope and, 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 you know, it's, it's, you really have to perform at a very, a very early time. Yeah. I think um, it's also just such a, a pretty weird situation, especially for a rookie uh, to, to come in. I think the front court of the wizards have been hurt for much of the season. You got Beal and Westbrook who are two really ball dominant players. I mean, it's kind of like the worst of all worlds because sometimes if you're, a rookie on a bad team, like Anthony Edwards, right. you at least get the ball a lot and get to put up your stats or else you're a rookie on a good team. And, you know, um, you get to win and be part of like a winning culture and play your role on a good team and know what that's like. But he's a rookie on a bad team with two ball dominant stars. So it is a really tough kind of environment to judge. Like you're not going to be able to see his kind of higher level, like 
playmaking, ball handling, scoring skill because he doesn't get those opportunities. And then you also he, he, is shoot, he is shooting well from three. We should say he's shoot, shooting thirty thirty two percent from three or thirty three percent from three, which is you know pr- pretty good. Like for a three point shooter, anything over you know in, in, in the in the three hundreds is pretty solid usually. Um, he is getting his looks. I think I think it'll be a matter of time with Denny. You know, he's only twenty years old. We we really need to see a little bit more of him. I hope we do uh, next year. I think the Wizards are 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 in like a probably the first of like a or. Yeah, like the first year in like a five-year rebuild after getting j- rid of John Wall. You know, they have Westbrook's contract, which I can't remember yeah. if it expires after next year or two years after. You know, Bradley Beal, who uh, still you know, on the is team. a great player, but still on the team somehow. I'm not I'm not sure exactly what his contract is, but I don't think he's someone that we expect to be on the team forever. And, uh, you know, Denny will have his moments. He'll have a shot uh, to really become the first uh, the first Israeli star in the NBA. I, I haven't been following him that closely, but I've, you know, what I've been reading and hearing a little bit, it seems like there are enough flashes that, that there's still reason to have hope, right? And and that's, I guess, all you can take away from a season like this. And I think it's been a, a good experiment in uh, in marketing from an NBA team. You know, the Washington Wizards have an Israeli uh, Twitter page now, um, which is, I think, the first for, for an NBA team or really any sports team, which is pretty cool to see. Just like, you know, mostly a feed on Denny. I'm not sure if it was like the social media guy already spoke Hebrew or they had to hire a consultant or something. But, you know, it is a very interesting new thing in terms of marketing to an audience. I think um, it'd be interesting to hear the perspective of someone in Israel about what they're hearing about Denny, because, you know, we don't get the full perspective that they have. But I can only assume that they're uh, they're cheering him on or following his uh, following his career in, in the NBA to a certain amount. Yeah, and um, Zach Lowe, for those of you who are familiar with the you know ESPN writer, I know he's behind a paywall now if you're in the states, but he does a weekly column, ten things I like and don't like, and he talked about Denny uh, last week. So oh, that's great. Um, Did he was he yeah, a like was, was he a like or a don't like? Yeah, it was. This is the title. It's Denny uh, Avdia. Did I say that? Avdia. Yeah. Avdia. Okay. Getting over the jitters. So he was saying like he really like um, bled into the background at the beginning and, you know, there was a lot going on. And now it seems like since he's been back in a starting lineup, he's playing like he belongs there and he feels like he belongs there and and everything else is a work in progress, but there's enough that he sees like to build on that it seems like um, a jack of all trades, complimentary starter on a good team is, is... I think what Zach Lowe says is a reasonable outlook. That's for him. not bad. I, I I really do hope that he becomes that he develops in the start. It really would be something to have a, a Jewish NBA bas, uh, NBA All Star. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know when the last one was. If we're you know if we're not counting Amare who who hadn't converted at that time. Yeah. But uh, you know it's probably like Dolph Shays or something like that. So mm-hmm. I don't even know if they had All Star games back back then. But uh, anyways, we wish Denny luck. So why, why don't we take a quick break and then we'll come back with a, a discussion about what Julian Edelman's career has meant. Sounds good. Uh, we're taping this on Tuesday, April 13th. Uh, yesterday on April 12th, uh, Julian Edelman was released by the New England Patriots and shortly afterwards announced that he would be retiring. Uh, he had a career that, uh, included parts of 11 seasons just to go through the numbers a little bit he was drafted in the seventh round by the new england patriots in the 2009 nfl draft after a career at kent state you know not a big football school um grew up in in california 
undersized guy, you know, I think listed under 200 pounds his, his entire career. Didn't really do much his first couple of years in the NFL, you know, started a few games here and there, um, but really blossomed in 2013 when he had his first thousand yard receiving year. Um, he would have two more after that. Uh, he was a huge, huge part of New England's three Super Bowl victories in the 2010s. Uh, he also made it to two other Super Bowls, I guess, um, with the Patriots that that they lost. Um, he retires with this is this is pretty amazing. He retires with the second most playoff receiving yards of any player in NFL history, be- behind Jerry Rice, who's I think undisputedly the greatest or. You know, certainly thought of as the greatest receiver of all time. That's incredible. So we, you know, we can talk about Julian Edelman, the player, and I think there's there's plenty to talk about there. You know, there's this there's this thing that happens, Alex, after after someone retires, where it's like, oh, they're not a Hall of Famer, they're not a Hall of Famer. It's like, you know what? He's probably he's probably not a Hall of Famer. I mean, aside from what he did in the playoffs, his numbers are not Hall of Fame numbers. You know, he's 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 pretty good. He was a Hall of very good kind of guy. Um, the 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 playoff resume is probably more significant than than anything he did during the regular season and something that he should be very proud of. He was the first Jewish Super Bowl MVP in 2018, um, which you know again something we probably won't, may or may not see for a long time. Um, but I think from our perspective, there's something we want to talk about as well, which is which is what he's done off the field. Um, he is someone who is who is. Of I, I I don't know exactly you know we're not we're not uh, eugenicists here I don't know exactly what the what the portion is but I believe he's half Jewish I think he, his dad is Jewish and he isn't someone who grew up with a ton of Judaism um, but he is someone who has wholeheartedly embraced Judaism uh, towards the end of his career and has become a real public face about Judaism and I think that's been you know something that's that's really worth celebrating it's um, I know you guys have touched on this idea a lot but kind of the the mantle of being a Jewish athlete when there are so few that are really public figures in the big four sports, at least in North America, and how it can kind of be thrust on people and some really live up to it, even if they weren't necessarily raised with such a strong Jewish identity. And he's probably like the, the poster child of that, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, he went on a sort of birthright style uh, kind of trip that I think was paid for by, by Robert Kraft, the, the Patriots. Uh, owner who we've made fun of. Now he's like he could probably just go on birthright itself. They've they've upped the age limit so high. <laughs> oh, have, yeah, that's right. So you don't you don't need to have a billionaire a billionaire NFL team owner to to send you there. But uh, yeah, so he went on his birthright style trip in 2019. But in the you know after 2013, he he sort of was someone who embraced it. In 2018, after the uh, the Etzheim, uh, uh shootings at the Pittsburgh synagogue that uh, that resulted in, in 11 people being killed. He wore cleats with Hebrew on them to honor the victims. He, you know, he's tweeting out things about that. Um, just last month when Myers Leonard, the uh, NBA, NBA basketball player, said something anti-Semitic on a, on a Twitch stream, uh, you know, Julian Edelman was the first big athlete, you know, big four athlete, prominent athlete to come out and say something about it and talk about, you know, reconciliation and, and you know, teaching him about, what what had gone wrong and you know cap all of this off with yesterday when he does this uh you know four minute long sort of tribute video about his career and he is rocking a big Miguel david over the shirt uh in his announcement the entire time and like you know i i don't know if i can think of uh you know an athlete 
I don't, and definitely not an athlete. I can't think of an athlete in a mainstream American sport who has uh, publicly shown their Judaism in such a way in the last many decades. You know, we're ta- not talking about Al Rose and Sandy Koufax, uh, re- you know, really different eras. And, you know, I'm not talking about Sean Green uh, posing with a bagel in, in, in Sports Illustrated. I'm talking about someone who has really embraced it, who has shown it and been incredibly public about it. And, you know, you can, you can say, you know, I think there's, um, you can take a skeptical position on this. You can, you can look at it as, oh, he's just doing this to um, appeal to a certain type of audience, to appeal to Jewish fans, which, you know, even if that's the case, Dayenu, that's fine. If somebody just wants to yeah. really appeal to their Jewish fans, but but I think he's someone who's he's not. He, yeah, he's not. he has he has really it. he has really embraced it. And like, uh, really, can you think can you think of any other Jewish athlete who has embraced it in this way? Aside from you know people playing for Team Israel, like no one of this of this stature ha- has done this. I mean, you know? I know, we were just talking about Zach Hyman. I know he. I think he's done stuff with the local UJA, but fair enough. Um, but he's not an NFL. He's not a Super Bowl MVP. Exactly. He's not a Super Bowl MVP. I think. You know, Braun has you know been okay with it, but you know he hasn't embraced it in this way. Alex Bregman, again, you know, is happy to say that he's Jewish, but Julian Edelman is like he's going out of his way. It's like he's making himself the spokesperson in in a positive way. He's not someone like where it's not his place, but like when it's good news, bad news, no news, like <laughs> right. he's there front and center with the with the star of David on his chest. I mean, that's what that's what we all what we all want to see, right? I I, I think so, and I think it is part of a you know I I, I don't want to put too much on Julian Edelman's shoulders in terms of uh, a representation of Judaism to the world. But there is a um, projection of Judaism that is uh, common, that is of a intellectual, of a uh, neurotic, of a certain type of person that we have plenty of examples of. And I, uh, you know, am, am, am proud to have them. You know, I, I, look, I look fondly on someone like Philip Roth uh, or you know other Jewish writers and intellectuals who who I've, I've cherished throughout my life, but it's also important to have this sort of physical, um, in-your-face, uh, proud Judaism that I you know honestly I don't think we really see in North American circles. Like I don't see a lot of um, outside of athletes. I don't I don't think we see a lot of you know singers or or mu- musicians or actors or anything like that who are who are as in your face about their Judaism as, as Edelman is in a, in a, in a positive way. It's just interesting because obviously we know, we all, we know a lot of Jews and we know Jews are just people like anyone else. And yet I feel like even for us, there's still maybe like the stereotype of who like a famous Jew is, if, if you know what I mean by that, where I think it might be, I don't know, like, I don't think Judy, Julian Edelman represents Jews as much as he represents himself which is a sign that that like Jews are are not just one thing. Like no no people is one thing. Let me put it this way: it's nice to see someone be unapol- unapologetically Jewish. Yes, you know, no strings attached. And I, I guess I would say that Drake is probably another good example and someone who celebrates his Judaism in a in a very overt way. Yeah. Um. You know, again, not in the same way as Julian Edelman in terms of uh, the the response to uh, specific issues of anti-Semitism. But again, it's nice to have these sort of aggressive unapologetic examples of judaism and i think he's really he's really been that for for many years well yeah it's just like he's jewish the way like uh you know a new york italian is catholic or something 
I, I don't know if like you know what I mean by that. Right. I mean, there's there's plenty of there's no there's plenty of counterexamples. Like, there's like the bling and the, there, there's yeah. lots of people who you know talk very public publicly about being Christian or or their relationship to to Jesus or or whatever. I mean, especially in in mainstream American culture. So I guess it, it's nice at the very least to have a, a counterexample, uh, you know, from the Jews to to sort of show what that means. Yeah. Um, that's not in like literature of the movies because those, <laughs> those, those all do tend yeah. to be like you were saying earlier with philip roth it's all the same kind of like representation so yeah i, I agree it's it's been great anyways I, I think we can leave it there in terms of our in terms of our tribute uh we're sad to see him go but i'm sure this isn't the end of julian edelman you know i think he whether it's media or coaching or, or who knows what he's someone who we're going to have around for for a number of years you know he's a charismatic guy and i think i, I think he knows that uh he can parlay his success on the field to to a, a significant career off the field as well and you know i look forward to seeing seeing what that entails uh you know what hopefully it entails something re- related to his to being a jew as well we've been lucky to have him i just remember when he first started playing for the patriots he took Wes welker's spot and i hated <laughs> him and it's, it's crazy like to see how far he's come and, and how you know a lot of people have probably come in their feelings towards him. And if uh, he unretires after a year and goes to join Tom Brady and Gronkowski with the box, we'll, we'll do this whole thing again in a few years. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, let's leave it there for now. Um, you can follow us as all as always at the Mensch Warmers. Uh, please like and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes or wherever else you can leave us a review. Um, we are brought to you as always by the Canadian Jewish News. You can catch up with what's going on with the Canadian Jewish News at the CJN.com and the CJN Lounge on Facebook. It is also the CJN.ca, I am told by my producer Michael. Um, we'll be back in a few weeks with all the stories you can take about Jews and sports. See you later. Bye.